stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at a stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now. I'm sure you've noticed a recent surge of mythopoetic fantasy adaptations. The most notable ones are Rings of Power, The Sandman, and House of Dragon. Are they any good or just Hollywood's further exploitation and dilution of storied stories? Perhaps it's something deeper, an arconic attack on the realms of imagination a cancerous poison injected straight into the collective unconscious. Gordon White materialized at the virtual Alexandria to discuss this possible infiltration of the Pleroma, and why some of these creations are actually damn fine cups of aeonic coffee. You know we got Jungian on your ass, and Henry Corbin, and Joseph Campbell, and Gnostic-slash-Neoplatonist. In a few days, we'll have another AB Live, a rescheduled show with Danielle Dosky on the season of The Witch. Guess the timing is more than perfect, and it will double as our Halloween special. Then we end the month of October with one of the most fun shows I've done in a while, with Vance and I laughing through most of it. Get ready for nihilism, pessimism, and existentialism, and how they all relate to Gnosticism. Yes, believe it or not, it really was a lot of fun and light-hearted at its core. You will see this and witness an overlooked giant in modern philosophy, Emil Sioran. Thank you for those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. You are amazing in your backing, company, and feedback make this podcast happen in the Black Iron Prison. For those of you angry at PayPal's recent shenanigans, Consider the Red Circle sub that gives you access to all full shows for only $4.99 a month, or the many flexible tiers on Patreon. As I often mention, if you need any complete show because of the financial stress due to Archon Monkey Shines, just let me know. Heckin' Hecate, I've given cats temporal subs because they just needed some necessary gnosis. We're all in this together, and no one here is getting rich. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatevs. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And don't forget I do have an Amazon wishlist and a fantastic merch store. Get your Not Today Archons t-shirt today. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Remember that eternity hasn't gone anywhere in these end times. 
it's still there for your taking. So is the imaginal. Thus, keep writing your own gospel and living your own myth. Because when it's over, I'm done. Like hot dogs on a grill. I'm quitting acting. So you can call the trades and tell them I said it was a tremendous honor to be a small part of one of the oldest of human traditions. Storytelling and myth-making. He does one chapter, I believe, on like religious icons, where the icon starts to represent God and it loses its power of a true connection to God because then you're the icon and then you have a simulation of an icon until it becomes on the dashboard of your car. You know, a decay of meaning. So myths are stories of, of the search by men and women through the ages for meaning for significance, to make life signify, to touch the eternal, to understand the mysterious, to find out who we are. People say that what we're all seeking is a meaning for life. I don't think that's what we're really seeking. I think what we're seeking is an experience of being alive so that uh, the life experiences that we have on the purely uh, physical plane will have resonances within that are those of our own innermost being and reality and uh, so that we actually feel the rapture of being alive uh, that's what it's all finally about and that's what these uh, clues help us to find within ourselves we're lost history became legend legend became myth and we are live welcome everybody yes men still have nipples and they cannot be milked i guess we find out sauron has nipples sexy sauron or incel sauron well that's what we're gonna find out today as we figure out uh are the archons invading the imaginal and what is going on with today's culture and this, of course, will entail a lot of myth, magic, and meaning. So welcome, everybody, to AB Live. Uh, glad to see you. My name is Miguel, and I am still your pompadus of Gnosis. And we will be discussing a lot of cool, well, I don't know about cool, a lot of content created, including Rings of Power, the Sandman, and the House of Dragon. Maybe touch on some other uh movies and tv shows that have come out and try to give you a high level discussion on this and maybe uh yeah some deconstruction so always glad to have my friend and fellow tolkienista gordon white gordon how are you doing really really good yeah thanks for having me back looking forward to it always always glad to have you back and uh, yeah you're your conversation with Chris and your blog post sparked me to uh, do this. It had to be done. And uh, yeah, I'm amazed. You have been to Token's grave and left flowers. I'm very jealous. Yeah, a couple of times. And one time I actually left a um, little uh, like Lothlorian pendant, um, little green elf like from the film. So, And I'm not alone with that. If you look at the blog post, when I finally found it, I'm like... I'm in this cemetery in Oxford first time. Like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'll be the one with the offerings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, that's, I think, quite nice. Like, it's sort of a well-trodden uh, path. But that's sort of, uh, that I was, first time in Oxford, that was the one thing, although the first thing I wanted to do, not um, the Pitt Rivers Museum, not any of the other stuff. It was, uh, we got to go and find where Tolkien's buried and then uh, drink at the Eagle and Child, which we also oh. did, <laughs> speaking of. <laughs> so jealous, so fucking yeah. jealous. Oh, well, my time will come. And with us, too, we've got everybody's favorite elf, the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing over there in uh, Rivendell? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm looking for my magic ring of power here. I, I lost it under the bed yeah. this morning, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> but uh, not, not a big expert in the Lord of the Rings and, and Tolkien, but uh, always willing to learn. So here I am. No, we're going to cover a lot of, obviously, union concepts and other oh, things. So like and magic and stuff. So you'll definitely be able 
to okay. relate and for yeah for the audience over think, there i also think like star trek because he was talking about Vance, ah. you know preferring that so um if we're, if we're talking about the impact of this being or collection of beings on the imaginal and creative output and how it looks to my eyes that it is going after sites of imaginal resistance i'm really interested because i quite liked strange new worlds and i'm interested in how that was um, less painfully woke than Discovery, which I also didn't mind, but uh, and Discovery. because it's the same, it's the same showrunners, right? But the difference is Netflix. So uh, uh. if you look at Discovery, you you have that horrible, like the scene where they have to explain pronouns, like it's several centuries in the future. You would kind of go. <laughs> <laughs> this is a thing. I don't think you need to like stop all the action and go. And some people are they them, right? Anachronism. Like, yeah, it was just this horrible mess that you know. And I was sort of like, is this Goldsmith who's doing this? But then you kind of let you see Goldsmith and team um, away from that, and you see that with Strange New Worlds. And it's not. And it's still. It's not like this is a. I think the difference. We kind of want to maybe land on a difference between say woke and and just like diverse or modern, right? Because um, Strange New World still had all that kind of like different gender stuff and whatever going on, but it didn't painfully stop the action to kind of go, let's make a statement about pronouns. Yeah, there were just roles, right? You know, people, you know, it was done through the roles and there were just different characters, it's fine. Yeah, so because I, I like quite like, I was really too. quite happy with Strange New Worlds. It's basically just it's like old school Star Trek. They're just traveling around the place having sex with aliens. Like, what more do you want? <laughs> Life is good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like cool. Kirk though. I didn't like the new Kirk. You know, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, it didn't seem like Kirk to me. Yeah, well, it will definitely be included as we deal with, uh, well, as we find out, one of the Morgoths or Melkors, who's also been responsible of destroying Star Trek. But yeah, we can get into that for the audience as always. Uh, Super chats, you'll definitely have your answers, uh, your questions answered. And uh, if not, uh, just try to write uh, all caps, lots of question marks, and we'll we'll do our best to get to you. Uh, yeah, I want to get into the main event, worry about some housekeeping later. Uh, as always, please support both Gordon and I, independent, um, independent content creators. Uh, definitely get Woo! Gordon's book, Animistic, <laughs> and it, it is relevant mm. to what we'll be talking about tonight, the jungle, the imaginal. These are, and a lot of the themes you talk about in this book are, Certainly what we're going to talk about uh, tonight. Um, yeah, I don't know where to, I don't, we could spend years talking about what a bad, what a disaster uh, Rings of Power is uh, from the acting to the pacing to where is the $60 million per episode going to the messaging to over and over again. I mean, I'm sure they're eventually going to blame what uh, Gamergate and Susan Sarandon for anything? Because that's what well, usually happens. The assault on Tolkien spreads, right? So with that recent election in Italy, because uh, what's her name is is a fan of Tolkien. It's like, oh, it turns out Tolkien's secretly far right fascist. I mean, that's interesting for someone who um, fought in World War One. But it's just anything, and this is this is the key, right? Anything that can provide imaginal resistance or refuge or succor against this technocratic entity, which I think Gnosticism framed correctly and first, mm-hmm. um, is must be destroyed. Like, it's actually very clever, right? Uh, and And you can kind of tell when it does these things because the destruction comes from a level of hatred. Like, the it, Rings of Power was never going to be good. Like, it's impossible for um, Prime, for, like, the CIA, the CIA's largest contractor is not the right home for what actually is quite good material. Like, everyone's saying there wasn't even a book to go on, which is kind of true, but, like, the second age is where all the cool shit happens <laughs> in Middle Earth, right? So mm-hmm. the idea that you could fuck that up um, they're always going to. But so the, I was thinking about this before we went live, right? Consider some of the forgettable Batman films, like the Jared Leto Joker one, right? No. They don't hate Batman. They just no. didn't do a very good job of it. Whereas The Rings of Power hates Tolkien. It hates the material. And this is what I mean by there's a difference between, I don't know, the modern world and woke, right? And woke is a hatred. Um, and a viciousness that is also um, 
that believes itself under it's that it's under attack. And this is because speaking of Chris, we've been speaking about that, that um, wokeism is a Christian heresy, right? <laughs> because it, it is obsessed with some kind of purity, but it also has that, um, that mind virus that Christianity has, which is that it's beleaguered and under assault when it's still the most powerful, like cosmovision on the planet, right? Like the Holy Roman Empire, mm-hmm. because it sort of formed its identity in those first few centuries in, in the catacombs and whatever, thought that they were always on the brink of collapse. And, and you see that with wokeism, that even though it is the dominant um, way of seeing the world in now the military, the government, academia, the corporate world, the rest of it, they think it's this precious thing that's under attack. And so you can kind of go, well, is this just like a bad modern version of something or is this let's just say woke and the and the the indicator for me is the hatred of the core material hatred in general and the viciousness with which it responds to even the slightest criticism like the Jar- jared leto is actually pretty meta about how bad his joke is to his credit yeah, yeah. right yeah. um but the, the people who made that film or actors will know like sometimes we just made a dud film right yeah. but you look at this and the viciousness that they come for people are like, oh, if you don't like what is plainly the worst TV series perhaps ever made in the English language, then you must be some kind of far-right racist. You must hate it for those, like, ethnically pure reasons. And that, that going from zero to 11 of, of viciousness and, and, and hatred is, I think, how you know you've you found this being right like because there are there are bad tv shows everywhere <laughs> but there are bad tv shows that are actually assaults by this entity on 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 sources of of imaginal richness and sucker i think well said indeed yeah i would agree 100 percent. i mean when i when it first came out <clears throat> i uh watched the first episode and Luthien, our webmaster, she is like lives and breathe token, right? Vance, her name's for you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is it's her life. It is her life, and she's got pure lore. And I asked her, What do you think of the first episode? She's like, Yeah, didn't like it. I'm not gonna watch it. And I kept watching and I kept saying, Why? I'm I'm too old to hate watch. I just don't do it. I'd rather you can watch a YouTube or a blog post. You don't have yeah. to I just walk away. Um movie suck 10 minutes, I'm out the door, I turn it off. But I kept watching. And then when I read your blog post and you and Chris about this is an assault on the imaginal, this is cutting us off. From the la- from the one place where we can get our power, which is what the Archons want. They want us completely yeah. cut off. They want to twist it around. And it's ironic because in the show, the there's this cancer that's killing the elves, and they have to li- leave Middle Earth. Leave Middle Earth. And I'm like, oh, so they kind of gave away the plot, Gordon. That's exactly what they're yeah. doing to us. And this starts from I mentioned Morgoth. Uh, the creators or the showrunners should be fired if you know, if unless they want to launder more money, which again goes to your arguments, it's all well, it's, money, yeah. Laundering. You never know with the CIA, right? Like, yeah, um. <laughs> but uh, I was like, this comes from JJ uh, Abrams, who's known as the destroyer franchise. He's de- he destroyed our avenue to the imaginal of Star Wars, Star Trek, he did it. He did it. Now he's doing it with Lord of the Rings. I mean, he's the real Melkor or Morgoth, wouldn't you say? Uh... De- definitely in there. I have. Um, I don't. I, I, we were sort of discussing this beforehand, arranging it, and I actually generally like. I'm, I'm pretty easy to please. Uh, so even though I know a lot of Star Trek purists didn't really like Discovery, I thought it was fine, and sort of I didn't necessarily hate the. J.J. Abrams reboot Star Trek films either. I think that was done reasonably well to kind of like put it in a whole separate universe yeah. and you can have a play there. Like, right, the, I liked it. Yeah, right. So on the one hand, yes, I think in this case, from J.J. Abrams down, when you realize that the showrunners basically hadn't done anything before this uh, and then they were given billions of dollars and and no interest. And when Tom Shippey, for people who don't know, although I'm looking at the chat, there are some Tolkien nerds who showed up for this, which is good, but he's basically the world's premier Tolkien scholar and he was either left he either left or was fired um mm. you look at it now from the from the, the top down there was an attempt to destroy the material there was really an attempt to be like no um this 
it cannot be Tolkien in any way. And that's when I stopped watching. Like, first of all, I only watched three episodes. I fell asleep in all three of them, uh, which, and I, I started reading reviews and everyone was saying that, like even sort of like reviews that you would expect to be, I think it was on Slate or somewhere. I can't remember. No, it was Atlantic, but someone was saying I fell asleep <laughs> in this like shit bomb of, of a series, which it absolutely was, but it was really freeing the same thing to get to, episode three and go, well, this isn't Tolkien. So I, I don't need to watch it. And I knew that was going to happen because my little brother's a Tolkien nerd too. Right. Mm -hmm. So we've been watching sort of through, um, through fingers. We've been watching um, the updates of it as the, the show was coming closer and closer. Thanks to like nerd tube, like nerd Roddick has been the best at this. I think. <laughs> He's great. Um, yeah. And the only thing I miss about watching the show is that when I watch his rants, I'm like, I don't, have the context. It's a very enjoyable rant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've watched um, every every episode, yeah. Oof. Oh, have you? Okay, well, I can get some details from you on it. So I, the stuff that I know post-episode three is basically filtered through the rant. But what I said to Cameron, my little brother, was like, you will, they will break upon this fortress like waves upon rock. Like, you can't. And it, it's sort of done that. And I get, like you, you, I'm sure, I get a bunch of Amazon deliveries, like four or five a week. And the boxes are covered in rings of power and you get on Amazon and there's rings of power everywhere. And that's the only time I remember it exists. And the smell of desperation of it, like put, you, you cannot think of a better physical billboard on the planet than Amazon packaging because it's mm. everywhere, right? right. And, you, and, you, and they're so desperate to get people to watch this thing just by uh, bombing them with it. I actually quite enjoy when the packages show up now and go, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is failing. This is failing and will cost billions and... Um, Bezos has apparently bet the the content farm on this, right? And there will be a fundamental pivot. I can't see how they spend those billions and get the whole way through five series. And that's what I mean. Like you, you came up against Tolkien, and you lost. You lost. It's what. But what if? But if this is some sort of spell or dark spell, they are winning, right? I mean, Gordon. I mean, they are. Yeah. This is just a mass ritual, too. So yeah, that absolutely. Priceless. So it has, I would say, the optimism of. There's a Gnostic optimism, which people rarely say, but th that's in there, right? Which is the thing that is transformational and healing in Middle Earth is untouched and unsullied mm -hmm. by this iconic assault, right? In the same way our souls are, the, the true part of us down here are unsullied by being down here, right? So it has that, it has that going for it. But and I think if we look for the positive in it, the, the the advantage is like it makes people understand like, well, why? not only why do I hate this, but why does this make me nauseous? Why do I actually feel in the presence of evil <laughs> when I watch this show? And that that really can get people to go on a journey, right? Because like, I use the word um, imaginal after Henri Bergson for the most part, right? No. But um, if you think about the assault and the imaginal, it's actually 350 years old. It's just that... It, uh, the, with the rise of the Enlightenment, when we trapped effectively the spirit world in a monkey skull and then said it didn't mean anything, right? No. That's dumb. Uh, and, and what we trapped in there was, let's just say, the European spirit world because um, oversimplifying so that it's useful, like platonic thought, there is this idea, this, this concept or framework that the true reality uh, is this imaginal or spirit world space and this is a play out of it right mm -hmm. so the the depths of, of when we talk about things like the imagination and the imaginal when we talk about it correctly dare i say it connects us all the way back to this um effectively the origins of western civilization which is this positioning of ourselves in relation to the imaginal or to the spirit world and it's in that kind of vein that I kind of considered what they did to um, Galadriel by turning her into an impetuous man uh, is blasphemy because the being that they hate the most in this is somewhere in between Sophia and um, the Virgin Mary, at least in terms of like the, um, the queen of heaven and really powerful angels because Galadriel is modeled or framed on Tolkien's understanding of like dark age Christianity's view of angels. And that's where words like Arendel come from. And in fact, all of Middle Earth came from him seeing um, a, a prayer to effectively an evening star angel, right? Mm -hmm. So the angels delivered the imaginal um, in the form of Middle Earth to us. So it's the, it is 
the highest of blasphemies, right? Which is why I don't think it's going to work. But it allows you when you hit that and go, why, why do I not only hate this, but it makes me feel nauseous? Is there's that opportunity to go, well, what do I think Middle Earth is? What do I think is, what kind of real is this to me? And that's a really important journey, I think, for people to go on. Yeah, that's that's definitely really well said. That's why I wanted to also bring this. You mentioned uh, uh, Rendale. So I wanted to get a, a quote from, where is it? I'm going to do a share screen. A quote from uh, Lance Owens. Um, from Lance Owens, he's a Gnostic bishop, Ecclesia Gnostic, but he's written some, when it comes to Tolkien, and uh, Jung, he's really one of the best minds. Uh, he's also worked with Becca Tarnas, who's also done some great work. But uh, I want to quote this. You guys can read along. But this is what he said in our interview. And he said, in England, Token was in a very similar situation. He's talking about it. He compares Jung and Tokens going down and yeah. what they went through. He had gone to the Cornish coast in 1914. While there, he had a vision of one, Erendil, he called him. It came as a poetic fragment. The, this word, Erendil, it had come to him from Middle English, and it had some intent. It seemed that this word had existed outside of history, that there was a story connected with it and began trying to tell the story of Erendil, one who had sailed into the heavens with a gem of light. Then after the war broke out and after Tolkien's experience in the war, he came home and this imaginative realm also opened up for him. Token was having these auditory hallucination, elven words. He was hearing elven languages. He was hearing their stories from the elves and writing them down. Token didn't believe in elves. Token knew elves. He knew elves by hundreds of names. He knew their history. He knew their stories. He knew their sorrows and their joys. He knew the beauty of their art. He was discovering elves. He was getting to know them. This was an inner exploration that was not an impairment of rational function. In fact, it is turning of rational function, a turning of rational attention, instead of outwardly to the activities of the world, inwardly to the activities of the imagination. So both of these guys, Token and Jung, were going through this intense experience at about the same time. Historically, there's a certain synchronicity there. Even more interesting, I think many people have visions of sorts, imaginations, or hear stories, which is interesting. Maybe they write it down and then go on with their lives. The difference here is what happened to Jung be between these visionary experiences. I say visionary, but I could also use the word imaginal, or I could use the word mythopoetic, myth-creating. These visions had become the foundation of a life work. Jung saw this visionary material that came to him between 1914 and 1920 as the precious stone that he did work for the rest of his life. And I think it's an important thing, Gordon, because at the end of the day, <clears throat> Token was not creating. It's not it was based on World War One or being an orphan or even being an, an anarchist, if you want to know his politics. These opened his channels of communication. He discovered Middle Earth. Same, Jung didn't create this psychology. He discovered this stuff. Yeah. And in, in Tolkien's case, he has this really fascinating kind of idea of sub-creation because <clears throat> famously he would say, like, if he needed to know a word or how far something was from somewhere else, I must go and find out, right? Like, so he, there was some kind of sense that it was material that was already extant before he created it, but in the sense of sub-creation. And I quite like this. So he would have made, I mean, he was, you know, very Catholic and the book is very Catholic, um, but there's <clears throat> something kind of like nicely Gnostic about this notion of sub-creation because he could tell not being, you know, being Catholic means that you don't think, let's say, Galadriel is actually an angel. Um, in the sense that you can light candles to her. He wouldn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but there is some kind of reality to it, and he's a created being, and and, and he's a created being in creation. And, and by virtue of that connection and benediction, he has this creative capacity, which is sub-creation. So it's some kind of real to him because it's it 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 exists it, it exists and it came from a capacity which for him was god given right 
So Jung, on the other hand, was like, no, it's <laughs> it's like it's real and it's extant in in terms of the like the collective unconscious. But they're they're right. kind of coming at the same um, rediscovery or or even like um, forging. It's almost like clearing the roads back into the imaginal, which landslides had taken up with the Enlightenment. Right. And I kind of see that with both of them. And, and the, the really fascinating touch points, because obviously Becca's been on the show a couple of times talking about, you know, the Red Book being sort of the famous thing, that Jung created a Red Book, and the story of Lord of the Rings is in the Red Book in the sense that Bilbo writes it and then um, Frodo and then eventually a little bit Sam, right? Like, so mm-hmm. this, the story of what happens, there are these multidimensional um, layer points. And the other, the other important one, I would say, is Philemon, because Philemon is effectively Jung's Gandalf, right? So right. you have, at the same time, them having the same dreams, but there are also these multidimensional imaginal symbols, which are, which overlap, the, the Venn becomes a circle <laughs> in these things. So there, th- that's one of the ways when you, when you want to work out what you think Lord of the Rings is, um, when you want to work out what you think Middle Earth is, uh, it's something like that. It's like the way in is like, well, hang on a minute. So the um, basically the greatest sorcerer of the 20th century, Carl Gustav Jung, ended up with the same material, not with the same material, but um, conclusions that look broadly similar from encounters with the same imaginal beings, I guess mm-hmm. is a better way of saying that, right? Uh, and yeah. that is that is sacred and that is holy, and that's why it must be destroyed. And it wasn't like when I spoke to Chris, um, Superman, uh, Woke Superman has been cancelled. Uh, and I actually read an article on it that I sent to Chris that there's, I obviously haven't read it. Uh, but the weird thing there is like there's pictures of like panels where Superman was standing in like a climate activism protest, like with his climate. Yeah, action yeah, I saw that. He can actually just move the earth further from the sun. He's done that before. He's spun the earth different ways. He could fix it in a second. And I'm like, wait, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Fly yeah. around real quick and cool yeah, it yeah, off. Yeah. You know? He's God. Yeah. <laughs> the last person to be at a climate action. So, but that was it doesn't compute, right? Like when this entity comes for sources of imaginal resistance, and I don't necessarily care that much about Superman, except that the thing that's in my head is Grant Morrison saying that both the bomb and Superman began as ideas. Right. And so we should have better ideas. And Superman is a better idea than the bomb. And what's interesting is that we are facing a 90% likelihood of nuclear bombs being used between now and 2027, just mm-hmm. as Superman's being killed. And you think, wait a minute. I, I, mm-hmm. what, these two things go together in my head. Uh, yeah. And that, that's one of them, right? Like, so to take Superman out uh, in advance of the bombs is the same as I see it. Is the same thing as like the the CIA archon coming for Middle Earth, and particularly coming for Galadriel. Like the rest of it is just an unbelievable hot mess. But this being really hates Galadriel. Mm-hmm. There's you couldn't have made a worse uh, slander than what they did um, by by turning her into an impetuous man who was also somehow subordinate to her son-in-law. Like. I, I, I'm speechless. Right, <laughs> what do you do with this? <laughs> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And if you read the plot, someone said she actually was the one who lifted up Sauron and got him everything. He actually was trying to tell her, stop, you're doing too bad. He was the good person in the whole movie, and she pushed him right to make the rings. Yeah. It's incredible. She is so, the devil in this movie, in this show. Yeah, she, and that that tells you who you're, who you're looking at when you come to this being and its attack, because it is that sort of satanic inversion, right? So the, the, mm. the idea that Sauron is the good guy is um is a bold take <laughs> it's a very bold take right uh and it's this is how you can tell you can smell that entity that entity that is literally going after um again sites of imaginal resistance we could see this coming more than a decade out right like there are different framings for you know let's simplifying and just saying gnosticism but one of the characterizations of a demiurge is that it can't actually do true creativity 
Right. Um, it can only mimic and, and, and do it poorly. And I kind of saw from about 2008 out, Chris and I have spoken about it, you and I have spoken about it, that um, the, when everyone's like, why is Hollywood only doing reboots? And I'm like, because the soul of creativity isn't there. Like it can't see the future. It actually can't do it. It actually cannot create new ideas. So it just reboots and it sort of reboots Spider-Man on the set of a rebooted Spider-Man. Like it, it just... Uh, this infinitely recursive thing because it can't and and then gets angry if you don't like it like that viciousness Uh, and that's that is a being that creates in mockery of the true creator uh as as a way of like trapping you it's that real toddler energy of the demiurge right like you um you will like it here or i will like i will fucking kill you right like it's that that's pretty much Jeff Bezos <laughs> and and Rings of Power. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know what most- this reminds me of? You, you know, uh, you've seen on the internet that weird mole that invades ants and takes them over and makes them into zombie ants. You know? Yeah, yeah. They're not real yeah. ants. So the show like- Legion made a play of it. Yeah, with the, yeah. You know, the spores. Yeah, it's like the the mold is taking over the characters and in, in these wonderful, you know, um, pieces of literature, <laughs> making zombies out of them. That's, That's it. Horrible. That's the Arkham attack. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's interesting. But, like, I guess the, the good news would be, as I said, because the weird thing was um, before the show came out, like I was in New Zealand for a month. I was in New Zealand for the month of July, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to watch the films um, because it's New Zealand. Um, and it's New Zealand <laughs> in winter, and it felt like a really good idea. And the Airbnb wasn't that great. Like, the and the couch was sort of a fake couch. It was like one and a half seats and the, the sort of tv thing was small so there kind of was like nowhere to sit and watch it and i could watch it on my laptop but it's that's inappropriate right this this needs a screen to watch lord of the rings so i thought you know what i'll just read it again uh which is the right decision because as i kind of mentioned in the post it's a long book so i was still reading it as rings of power happened mm. uh and in particular after the third episode when i'm like I, i'm pretty sure i'm out i went to bed and just read Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, the difference between those two at that mm-hmm. point, it's, this isn't Middle Earth. This isn't Tolkien. This is nothing. So in that sense, it's good. In that sense, the um, they finally found, again, like a fortress. This, the Archons finally found a fortress that uh, is unassailable. Uh, and I think I think that's one of them. I hope so. Yeah, and it's not all lost, even as as Matt's saying. I mean, my two favorite movies this year are very multicultural, and I think hit kind of go back into the imaginal, and that's RRR and everything everywhere at once. I think that's hmm. slivers of hope there, and we can talk some of the shows. But for the audience, uh, remember that Tolkien and Jung. Jung was trying to tell us we all have a soul, but both were saying these the realms of the imaginal, the pleroma, the you know, the place of our ancestors, like your book talks about, it's accessible to all, all yeah. of us. And they're in ancient times, we called them shamans, we called them Neoplatonists, Gnostics, uh, William Blake, artists, poets. But this is there, and it, there is art and ideas for each one of us to to restore the universe. So don't forget that we we have access to it but again this show is to warn you that the archons are like trying to put balrogs down there just in case. They are. You got to got to dig deep, still keep digging. Yeah, and and to cut you off like and so you can be mistake so you can mistake what that is for the real thing. That's the what how you can tell it's gnostic. It is a pseudo spirit world, right? Uh and uh, and if you get cut off from the real spirit world, you will die. So don't don't tarry too long. <laughs> don't tarry too long on Amazon yeah. Prime, right? Um, pick up a book or uh, or something. Not necessarily pick up a book. I mean, I like we were just talking about Star Trek and film and whatever. It's not. It's not like screens can't be an interface with that, but there um, you have to be a little bit more discerning. Um, certainly at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah, movies can be gospels. The Matrix sure. can be a gospel, no problem. And yeah, and Vince, I don't know if you have questions, but what do you think? I mean, when I saw the J.J. Abrams, the first Star Trek, I was like, uh, you know, kind of like Gordon, okay, yeah, the parallel universe is a way, like Marvel does everything as a multiverse to get out of any problem, to make <laughs> sure we don't engage. J.J. Uh, Abrams did the famous 
you know, parallel universe, which means we kind of lay back. And, and of course, the stupid fucking magic boxes. I think if I see one ever on a show, I'm going to kill. I'm going to throw something. Stop with the magic boxes forever. But by the wrath of Khan or whatever they called it, into I was like, this is shit. I, I saw... I saw right through them, and I knew it. What did you think, Vance, of the Star Trek reboots? Or um, I liked them generally. Yeah. yeah, I know that Cumberbatch was kind of a weird, you know, interesting uh, choice for Khan, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't hate that one. I, I think yeah. I liked it because it had. It looked like it was some of Star Trek gets really self-aware about the implications of Star Trek, which is that it is a military dictatorship. Right. It <laughs> That's the big reveal. Yeah. Like it's a communist military dictatorship. It's this money free <laughs> thing. And like by the end of uh by the end of DS9, um, it was kind of hinted at a little bit at the beginning of Discovery when they have like secret black ops programs and mm. whatever. So there and they're like a time traveling CIA working for the Federation. There were things that kind of made you realize, hang on a minute, we've actually built a, a dictatorship and called it a utopia. So and and that third Star Trek kind of got that kind of got that sort of like bio lab bioengineering thing so i didn't mind it i also think chris pine is extremely good looking so there's something in it for me <laughs> yeah he's good kirk yeah. too i think he really yeah, looked like a young kirk. He, he he's a good a actor good leading, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, what i yeah. think and the spock guy was good too um yeah, yeah i think i was i think it was well done i you know, well, so you know like, it's funny, right? Like, as I was saying before, and I think you guys are the same, I'm actually fairly easily pleased. Th th that's how bad Rings of Power is, because we're going to talk about <laughs> Sandman, right? Which I didn't hate. And I didn't, I mean, I've read, I've got the absolute Sandman like everyone else, and I've read it, yeah. and I've met Neil Gaiman in a crypt and all this kind of stuff. But um, I didn't, it was fine. And, like, the departures from it I kind of got. I liked what they did with um, Joanna Constantine. I thought that was really clever. I actually enjoyed her. I hope she gets a spin-off. Uh, all the kind of stuff. And this is the difference between woke and just updating, right? I There's no reason for um, Death to not be black. Uh, and she was in this and she was really good. Uh, there's no reason for John Constantine to not be like in that, someone else in that dynasty. Like not, it, they didn't stop and do the they, them pronouns anywhere, right? They just kind of did a show for 2022. And I liked it. I thought it still had that kind of, there's something about, like stars vision, I guess. There's something about things that, because American gods looked Ugh. gross, like um, like sure. glossy or something. Yeah, I didn't like slow it. Slow motion. Every scene was fucking that kind slow of motion. Thing, right? And there's, there's still a hint of that in in Sandman, but um, story-wise, I thought they did an okay job. Like anything gets translated, right? Here are the graphic novels. This is a TV series. You're going to gain stuff. You're going to lose stuff. But I thought it was pretty and I thought it was good. What do you guys reckon? Uh, I would say it was good. I disagree with you some points. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of Dune. It was good. Uh, it was just what I imagined. I didn't think it took uh, many risks. I, I disagree. I did not like Death. I think her look is iconic. In fact, mm -hmm. I always thought that the younger siblings of the Endless, they all had this pasty quality. Even Desire, she, him, you know, this androgynous being. She uh, she looked like, you know, the cover of Duran Duran's Rio, but she was androgynous. They all had pale skin that included death, dream, desire. So I didn't like the fact that they changed that, but uh, I did like uh, Constantine. I thought, you know, Lucian was great. I, it was all, it was really good. Lucian all that great. was pretty yeah. She was I, awesome. I, I, uh, I didn't think I'd like because I actually really like Gwendolyn Post, but I didn't think because I um, I, speaking of people I find attractive, like the Lucifer and the, the the graphic novels is really good looking, and I'm like, ah, it's a woman, but actually she did a really good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the problem that they're gonna have. I think if they want a second season, they really should have uh, rolled the dice, especially because Gaiman is all about breaking the walls and bringing things in they should have brought tom ellis as satan and they should have tried to get keanu reeves as constantine just i think to really build the buzz but uh, i didn't yeah, like yeah, but yeah. Uh, other than that yeah. i mean i thought it was great i know my wife who's uh the biggest fruit fly you could meet but she was like everybody's gay in the show and i'm like but that's neil gaiman he always spoke he was always transgressive, and so he spoke to the alternative sexes, to those who like the occult and mythology, and the, you know people on the margins. Uh, 
and that's why he was he was always so awesome in the 80s and 90s he spoke to yeah. the little guy to us who needed a voice so so like i think i know what you mean about the look of the endless right but that's that look is just really 1991 1992 like heroin <laughs> chic goth for me which is when the like the graphic novels came out so I like on the one hand, it's iconic. It looks really good in in the graphic novels, but I didn't. I'm, I'm not attached to it necessarily because actually having Death Black reminded me of. I can't believe I'm saying this because I, I quite like the Brad Pitt film Meet Joe Black, even though he does that yeah. horrible, like or problematic, dare I say, Jamaican accent in it. But I I quite <laughs> like when Death because she's Death. She she can show up looking like what she needs to look like to do the job. Um, so uh, if they were going to mess with him, for me, death was fine. But I, I also think they're just, I forget the name of the main actor who plays Dream, but they're just not that many skinny people in the world. So to to be able to turn them all, there's not enough waifs, right? I'm, I'm impressed they got <laughs> someone <laughs> that terrifyingly skinny anyway. Yeah, like yeah. Women women can't necessarily look like, they're, like death in the comics. Um, but I, I, I was three out of five kind of like this was for, yeah. at least it wasn't shit and if that's all we ask in 2022 if it isn't massively shit hmm, all right <laughs> yeah yeah i was surprised because gaiman was a showrunner after what he did with american gods and i thought good omens was pure shit and oh, all that terrible. talent oh, i'll so... tell you what though, i don't think he's that good like i've read that i have them i maybe read through them once or twice the um american gods the novel is excellent um, pretty much the rest of his stuff of the British invasion. He's kind of like my least favorite um, after, you know, Grant and Alan um, number one and two, obviously, but it's not that he's bad. It's just that I never really fanboyed him. Having said, like I met him in a, that was for the launch of the graveyard book, um, oh. which I went to and we won, like I was determined to get, they were raffling off copies. This is the grave, uh, a, a crypt in Clerkenwell. And they're raffling off copies of the graveyard book. And I'm like, that's it. We spent like 20 pounds on raffle tickets because I'm, I'm getting one of these books. Right. And so I was, um, I won the second ticket and then James won the third ticket. And then we won another set, which I gratefully was like, no, someone else, please have it. But I have one where he's driven, like drawn like a little um, grave in it. Cause the woman in front of me who won, he went to sign it and he started drawing wow. this little grave on the, um, on the page and she's like excuse me mr gaiman we're going to um, raffle this off as a prize for a children's charity uh, a cancer children's charity and is midway through drawing this tomb that says rip on it and uh so i got that one because <laughs> she's like oh i can't really take this to a cancer charity for children uh but uh, that being said like his stuff is fine so like it, it translates to me as a as a three out of five, but it, I'm not surprised Good Omens was shit because the book wasn't that good. If you actually go back and look at it, it's not that good. And uh, no. yeah, there's no excuse for American Gods because that's actually a really good American like road trip. They could have just followed the plot or something. Yeah, <laughs> well cast, really well cast actors, but didn't follow the plot. So, yeah, I think somebody here had a super chat. And yes, I. I've got there. Yeah. You got it. Yep. Yeah. This uh, never ending story with the Gamorg, the evil wolf talks about erasing the human imagination. Yeah. This is uh, I've That's used it in the show before that nails it. Uh, trying to destroy the imaginal and that will eventually turn all humans into uh, robots. That's their to turn them into yeah. them. That's what they want. So yeah. Good eye, Nathan Fox. Yeah. One of the things, if you look at it shamanically, so, and, from a shamanic perspective, the natural world and the imaginal or imagination are identical. Now, what that means is there is tremendous creative implications for the biodiversity loss we're currently experiencing because we're actually getting less creative. We have less of a rich imaginal the more damage we do to biodiversity in particular. So it's, I, I keep it's one of those things that doesn't drop down into evenly it doesn't, it's almost like in this dimension, you can't say that's the same thing as what's going on with Rings of Power and Tolkien, but actually you kind of like jump up a dimension, if you will, and you can tell that it is the same thing where we're in this moment where this being, and the never ending story reminded me of it, where this entity is, is seeking the destruction of the imaginal. It's, it's, and, and it's erasure. And, and that includes, it must necessarily include 
um, the the natural world or, or biodiversity. So it's um, yeah, interesting times to be on Earth. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, so you see this a, a sort of good thing. I mean, they 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 played this card with uh, rings of power, and now they got to live with the blowback. Yes, I mean, there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> there's nowhere to hide. <laughs> no, there is. There's um, the way bullies work, and the U.S. is experiencing it on the world stage now. Is that um, they try to force people? It's the, the again that that like iconic or demiurgic toddler energy of um, trying to force people to do what they want until it just breaks. And that's what this is. Like Bezos is trying to get every Amazon customer to watch Rings of Powers, Rings of Power, and no one is watching it. So it's not just that the assault failed on the imaginal, but that whole idea of it, it's part of the the Tower of Babel moment we're in. The technocracy fails. It gets worse first, but it fails because it's it always fails. That's just what happens. And this is one of those moments, right? Like if they try to push through, the longer they try to push through, because it's Im impossible to me that they'll continue it for five seasons, but they'll definitely do another one. And maybe it'll sputter out at three and they'll just have to do that to try and pretend that this is true and good and whatever. And it eventually breaks. And it breaks that whole um, arrogant framework of well, we'll just we're we're the CIA, we're Amazon. <laughs> we'll just spend billions of dollars and do better than like Tolkien is a one in a five hundred year event, right? And and the idea that Bezos and the CIA can do better than that, they won't necessarily learn it. They won't ever know that. But what they will know is that oh, we, there are some things we can't do. And so, in the long run, that's good. But the, the thing is, it, it's good news in the sense that it's a sign that we're coming to the end of that technocratic tyranny, but the end of that technocratic tyranny, it's, it's come down is, um, is going to be a thing to live through is I guess more my point. <laughs> yeah. Stick to the boys or Jack Reacher, which both are pretty good, but leave token alone, leave yeah. Brittany alone. No. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, you were talking as somebody said on Twitter, you never thought the United, the United States isn't just going to go, Eh, we had a good run before it collapses. So why the nuclear warfare? I'm still shaking my head. Don't you, Vance? You thought we were out of this, that this was an era. Oh, yeah. and now I'm like, this is really going to happen. Somebody's going to yeah. get nuked in our lifetime. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Cycle. I, I think, yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's 80 85% likely that bombs are dropped on American soil by the end of 2027. Like, it's not just oh. Ukraine. Yeah. Um, that's what the model looks like. So here's how you understand, and I'm going to use this in a member presentation later, but here's how you understand the G7, but particularly the Anglo-Americans and particularly the Washington like establishment's view of Eurasia. It's, if I can't have you, no one will. Uh, and that's their attitude <laughs> to the integration of Eurasia outside of let's say, Anglo-American dominance and governance because right. um, India, China, um, Russia, um, the Middle East are all integrating and looking at different payment systems and currency. And, and these are all the mechanisms that the G7 has used to run the world since World War II. Uh, and we in the West don't have a credible alternative because we're deeply corrupt and we've run it for our benefit. So if I can't have you, no one will is... If you just understand that, that works on a on a global scale, and that's going to work coming into the elections on a on a national scale in the U.S. Um, the attitude of this being is: if I can't have you, no one will. Um, so that's <laughs> that's where we're at, um, and you just you just hear that whatever whatever's going on, that's that's actually the energy of it. It's that really, really, really violent, murderous breakup. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's something else. I mean, I was looking at my bill right now and talking to my brother. My gas and electricity bill are already 30% higher than last year. And I'm one of the lucky ones. I feel for people in Europe and I'm like, "Oh, you poor souls. You're in you're getting screwed big time for no reason." Yep. No, it is literally for no reason. Like it, it, it's, it is a deliberate attempt to do that. And every time these politicians get caught out on it, like what's the name in Canada saying it's a good thing that they're paying $8 uh, 
um, because it'll make if they feel the pain at the pump, they'll understand something about climate. And it's like, ah, uh, um, this is this all comes down <laughs> uh, because you can't you, when you get in the way, particularly in cold places like Canada, when you get in the way of people keeping their children warm, uh, out come the guillotines. It's just that's what happens. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully. Exactly. And Vance, any questions are from the audience? Well, let's see. Uh, we had a couple. Um, let's see. Which one should I pick? Hint of Shrimp 3D said, what do you all think of the book Nos Confundin, The Navigator Who Crossed the Ice Walls? I don't know anything about that book. Anybody? No. We're not ringing a bell. No. 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 no uh, okay. Well, that's what we think about it. We don't know. <laughs> 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 all right. Um, Let's see. Uh, this was for discussion later. Okay, Peerless Loser wants to know, in The Hobbit, the beast of greed and calamity, Smog, was defeated by the bard. Uh, to British writer, isn't that a Shakespeare ref reference? Um, I, that would surprise me because Tolkien doesn't like Shakespeare. Um, ah. he, he, he cordially dislikes Shakespeare is the exact right. quote. So I doubt it. And the, the big reason for that is that he essentially never forgave Shakespeare for ruining elves, for turning <laughs> them into like tiny little camp fairies. Um, he didn't, didn't appreciate that. So he actually doesn't <laughs> like Shakespeare, so probably not. Now, given that his creation myth is based on music, there's something to be said for um, Bard as a musician rather than Bard as, as Shakespeare for it. But generally his wordplay, even in The Hobbit, which is pretty clunky, is better than that. Um, so I, I'm sure if you ask, I'm sure someone, there's Tolkien nerds in the chat, someone will know the origin of, of why it's called Bard. But I'd, I'd be surprised if it was Shakespeare because he didn't, he didn't care for him. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. um, Oswald Spengler, who is a frequent visitor to our Eon Byte Live shows, um, wants to know if you think, Gordon, that the anagram Chris Pine's that What's that again? <laughs> I no. saw that in the chat. Oh, you did? Chris Pine's penis. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Is that all cut sign that Chris is willing to experiment? Um, listen, he's a Hollywood actor. I'm sure he's done some stuff on the way up. Um, they all do. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> okay. I never heard of that. No, neither. I'm glad I. I never heard of that. <laughs> so, okay. Gordon, you don't even think the guy playing Sauron's good looking? I thought he was not enough cool. to at least his show. looks. Yeah, yeah. Not enough to Albrand. Okay. Albrand, yeah. It's um, yes, Galadriel's raft mate from when she jumped in the ocean thousands of miles from land <laughs> and just and ran into him. Yeah, just mm. ran into uh, the Lord of Evil. What are the odds? I. <laughs> Hundred um, percent. My my niece and nephew are at like story writing stage of like preschool and whatever. They do a better job. <laughs> Their stories are more realistic. It's like, well, oh, in the middle of the ocean, I'm just I'll just swim back. And this is, yeah, I mean, this is worse than fan fiction. This is yeah. a Hercules and Xena stories. TV shows are better acted, better <laughs> plots. Oh, the set and the costumes look better. I, I'm baffled. I mean, again, it has to I, be a money I, I figured it out. I know what it is. Yeah, you've seen on the internet all these art things that are, you know, the AI creates the art. Well, AI wrote that show. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new uh, Right. It's something like that. But, yeah, it was um, – People who hate the material, like fan fiction written by enemies, like I think is what I said. They hate this material. And I don't understand. So n not every episode costs $58 million, but if you look at the billions that they put in and the number of episodes they're going to do, it nets out to that, right? Uh, but I don't know where, like, Xena, some of the costumes look better. Like, particularly because they just seem to put everyone in togas or, or whatever at the, at the beginning of this. <laughs> Xena had, like, better toga game. Uh, yeah, as far yeah, as yeah. And also, I would believe it more that Xena would jump into the ocean and swim back because it's a it's Jeez. a show where it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would work uh, because it's it's supposed to be fun and silly. And there's not even – I'm glad they didn't do it. And this is a thing that Peter Jackson was very good at because uh, he said, like, the line – it's a really fine line between Tolkien and Monty Python, right? Uh, some of the line delivery, some of the costumes, you've got to be really, really careful. And I actually thought that Rings of Power would have gone in that and just been kind of like absurd, just been a little bit Monty Python. 
but they're, they're not even anywhere near that line. They're, they're in the line in between like hatred and, and rank incompetence. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. It's just unbelievable. But Xena at least kind of like, it's camp. They, they know what it is. It's, 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 it, it's, Hercules, it is yeah. a silly, silly show. Uh, and, and so there's more of that heart in it. It doesn't have the malice that Rings of Power has. For the source material, I pity the people who worked on it and actually liked Tolkien. I, I don't know what that would be. I don't know if anyone did, other than Tom Shippey, right? Like, who even knows? Yeah, yeah but I think Jackson did cross the line. I, like you, I've been reading. My favorite book is *The Silmarillion*. I like it more than *The Lord of the Rings* or *The Return sure. of*. It's just it's. I could go right to that world, like like that, right? But. Um, I was. I also rewatched the movies to get Ring of Powers out of my mouth or my head, and <laughs> I, I was. That I, but I still get mad. I mean, back then we used to get mad in the nineties, right? Like, where the hell is Tom Bombadil? No Barrel. I mean, they. Cha you know, it was the same kind of anger, but everybody kind of was like, "Well, it's still token." But in the Two Towers, you've got Theoden and Ar and Aragon. They're so serious. Elves and people are getting killed, and then you've got. Uh, Fucking Legolas and Gimli having a contest of how many orcs they can kill, and Legolas yeah. sliding down the stairs with his stupid shield. I mean, and then Legolas jumping on the air. That's when I thought, "What the hell is wrong with Jack?" Even in 1999 or 2000, I was like, "Ooh, 2000." I was like, "Ooh, this is cringy," but but that's like his sense of humor. So I, it's not <laughs> the film did. I, you know, during the Australian imprisonment the last couple of years, I listened to a lot of audiobooks on walks through the woods. And one of them was like a hagiographic description of Peter Jackson's like film crew by a guy I actually met when I was in Wellington um, working there. But he, he wrote the, the Lord of the Rings like travel guide books and whatever. So he's obsessed with Lord of the Rings, but he also thinks Peter Jackson, who I think is an incredibly good filmmaker, but he thinks he's like a legit genius kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, and the thing that made this film so successful was a combination of devotion to the source material in, in ways that people have never seen before. And also his kind of like weird kinetic sense of humor. Like he like his, 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 his films are about like, you know, he did zombie films and, and, and meet the feebles and, and all this kind of like really base crass humor stuff. And so the, the Legolas, the superhero elf thing is kind of one of his, like putting himself in each of the movies, it's it's a film that loves Tolkien and also loves filmmaking, right? Mm -hmm. I get why Tolkien purists don't like it. In fact, we had this discussion on the Ansible, which is the private member um, platform that we have. Someone said, uh, like, I agree with you, except that I don't, I'm a, too much of a Tolkien purist to like the Lord of the Rings films. And I said, I get that. I'm a Tolkien purist too, but I'm also like a New Zealand purist or supremacist. So, so uh, I've got like another way into liking them, which is I, um, having lived there for seven years and with a, a Kiwi partner, it's insane to me that that strange little collection of islands made these remarkable films. But I like some of the decisions, the Tom Bombadil one I get, like the decisions yeah. he makes, um, for f he makes decisions for film reasons, right? Like uh, for pace reasons, for confusion reasons, uh, and and just to make and to so the way you bring a gender balance into a film or a story like Lord of the Rings is you kind of pull you make Arwen bigger because there is actually a love story in Lord of the Rings. It's just mm -hmm. in the appendices because Tolkien is uh, very English, right? And so none of that stuff. <laughs> is, is too English for that kind of thing. doesn't work on screen. The love story, the love is in there. And so all the decisions they made were kind of like sensitive and, and I would say loving to the material, which is the opposite <laughs> of, of uh, Amazon, right? The, the, the changes they made, which was everything, were made for malicious reasons. Like, I think I know better. Whereas the decision-making amongst around making the films, The Lord of the Rings anyway, The Hobbit is a separate story. Um, is how do I best serve this material in a filmic form? So that's, again, if you're looking at the difference, it's a really good thing to use to wash the taste out because what you wash out is the malice, is the hatred of the material. You can agree or disagree on like different sequences and things that worked or didn't right. film, but no one thinks that Peter Jackson hates Tolkien in the, in, no. a way that, like, in a way that plainly everyone at Amazon hates Tolkien. It's, it's remarkable. And bad robot. In yeah. Places. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Yeah, I don't want to get into The Hobbit. I know sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night sweating, like, what's Legolas doing there? What you know, but <laughs> but I'll live. I'll if live. you if you were a Peter Jackson fan before the films, um, The Hobbit is more enjoyable because it, if you just see it, I actually have is a weird thing to say. I have a reasonably low opinion of The Hobbit as a book. Like I've never really cared for it, so I don't care that the the movies aren't pure to it because it's a silly little children's book that was really just him you know, getting his pen ready <laughs> to, to write yeah, Lord of the Rings. So, like, I don't really it care. It was his own it. fan fiction, maybe. Yeah, pretty much. Like, <laughs> he, you know, he's telling stories to put his kids to bed, which is lovely in its own way, but it's not sacred like Lord of the Rings. So Peter Jackson came on late, and I have some tea on that. Like, I have friends who worked on it. Um, mm. He just wanted it done, uh, and and it wasn't, it wasn't going well at Weta Digital. Like, there was threats of legal threats and, and other kind of stuff. The, the story is like, oh, he's such a perfectionist that um, they didn't know what the dragon was going to look like like two weeks out from the premiere, which is true, uh-huh. but it's actually like if you guys don't get this right, I'm burning this business to the ground. <laughs> That's Ooh. more. Like, it wasn't like Peter like t- touching up things. It's like you guys have fucked up royally. And of course they had by that point because they'd been through several directors and, and all the rest of it. So the fact, again, it's a testament to his filmmaking and producing prowess that the films even exist at all uh, and are, if you are forgiving, watchable in any way. (laughs) And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. Gordon is always amazing in the imaginal or here in meat space. I often quote the Cheshire cat when he said, imagination is the only weapon in the war against reality always true and it continues to be supported in our second part so please support this red pill cafeteria if you find any value in the content it will cost you less than a buck per episode on all different platforms and that's a deal of your many lifetimes the alternative spirituality and philosophy of the gnostics are more critical than ever in this philip k dick world and gnostic times But this is our time to shine like crazy diamonds. We hide priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always.